This podcast deals with sensitive subjects and listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Crime Cabinet. Fourteenth of May, nineteen ninety-one, the body of Glenda Potter was found in the grounds of the Vines United Reform Church in Crow Lane in Rochester, Kent. She had been sexually assaulted and suffocated. BBC's Crime Watch featured Glenda's case in June, nineteen ninety-one, with a reconstruction of her last weekend. The show generated over a thousand tips in the first week, but nothing substantial to lead to Glenda's killer. Glenda Potter was a thirty-two-year-old divorced mother of four who was well known in the neighbouring town of Chatham where she'd lived all of her life. She had been living in the area in Chatham called Bedsitland and had been separated from her children and had subsequently turned to drink and drugs. She was a petite woman with short dark hair and was described by people as caring and fun. She was a prostitute and was frequently seen in and around the regular soliciting areas in both Chatham and Rochester in Midway. The Medway towns are made up of Chatham, Rochester, Strood, Gillingham and Raynham, with a population of around 242,500 people in 1991. The historic city of Rochester is just 30 miles from London and is well known for its cathedral and castle and was a favourite of Charles Dickens who based many of his novels there. It was known for its cobbled high street and hosting the Dickens Festival every year, which would see people dressed in costume, descending on the high street, taking part in competitions and in the castle grounds, reading Dickens and parading the street. The town, however, is also known for its night scene and there are many places you would find women soliciting. It has an active nightlife with pubs and a nightclub in and around the high street. On Friday 10th of May 1991, a friend called round to Glenda's flat in Chatham to see if she wanted to join him camping for the weekend in Cornwall. She said she didn't want to join him and so he left. Later that evening, Glenda was seen in the King's Arms public house in Rochester, a traditional looking pub on the cobbled street not too far from the historic castle. It was one of her regular haunts and at about 9.30pm, a friend of hers called Fran was also drinking there with her brother George and bought her a drink. While she was there, Fran said she noticed that an older man at about 60 years of age with grey hair was in the corner of the pub drinking. He was paying quite a lot of attention to Glenda and he watched her continuously while she was in the pub. He was wearing a smart jacket and a shirt with a tie and Fran said that she noticed he had a wedding ring on and was left-handed. Glenda left shortly after her drink and the man left at the same time, about 9.45, which the woman said seemed very odd. I was in here having a drink with my brother George. She was a bit of a loner, Glenda. She didn't make friends easily, but I think she didn't want to anywhere. She liked to be by herself. She could be a little bit of a pest when she was in the pub, but that was just Glenda. She was a sad person, and all the time she was chatting to us, there was this guy stood over in the corner, and he seemed to be paying a lot of attention to Glenda. I did notice he was left-handed. And he had a wedding ring on. This guy left at the same time as what she did, which just seemed a bit odd to me. A taxi driver reported seeing Glenda that evening at Rochester Railway Station. He was parked in the station forecourt. 
he saw a red car coming from behind him which then turned back towards the high street and stopped where Glenda was standing. He saw Glenda get into the car. The taxi driver then had a customer on board and drove off from behind the car that picked up Glenda. As he drew level with the car, he turned to look at the driver and saw him almost face on. I was parked in the station forecourt and I saw Glenda standing on the corner and I noticed the car turned behind me, drove back out towards the high street and stopped opposite where Glenda was standing. Well, that time my passenger was on board and I followed the car up the road and I had to stop virtually beside him to drive round him. I looked into the car and saw the driver virtually full face. The description given by the taxi driver was very similar to the description of the man in the public house the night before. Detective Superintendent Bob Ayling spoke to Crime Watch about the man. He's described as being aged about 60 years, six feet tall, having grey hair and balding. He was described as smart appearance, wearing a jacket, a collar and a tie. He was seen at Rochester Railway Station by the taxi driver on either Friday or the Saturday night. We can't be sure which it was. Uh, he was driving a red estate car, G or H registered. It could have been a Volvo. It was then reported that Glenda was also seen over the weekend soliciting in her usual places. On Saturday 11th of May, she was seen at around 10pm on the corner of Gundolf Road and Rochester High Street outside St Bartholomew's Chapel. Over that weekend, many of Glenda's neighbours had visited her flat as she had left her television on continuously. There was no answer from the flat and she hadn't been home on either Friday or Saturday night. On Sunday morning, 12th of May, at approximately 10am, Glenda was seen by a male friend coming out of a shop. This was the last time that she was seen alive. She didn't return to her flat that Sunday evening. Two days after this sighting, Glenda's body was found in an area behind the Vines United Reform Church by a church helper at around 12.15. Police believe that her body was dumped in the area between 8.30 and 9.30 that day. They believe she may have been killed before Sunday afternoon. The area around the back of the church was said to have been a regular meeting place for local schoolboys to meet and smoke. At around 8.20am, three schoolboys had been smoking in the area and hadn't noticed anything suspicious. They left at around 8.30. A gardener for the church had started work at 9.30 that morning and also said that he saw nothing suspicious. The three schoolboys left their smoking corner at about 8.30. They didn't see Glenda's body. At 9.30, a gardener started work, so that leaves the one hour when we believe that Glenda's body may have been taken there. However, the schoolboys may have been mistaken, in which case Glenda's body could have been put there much earlier. There have been two previous incidents in the days leading up to the discovery of Glenda's body. At about 4.15pm, a schoolboy went to the rear of the church. He describes the leg to us as uh, having a white training shoe with a black pattern on it and also a white sock with a coloured band at the top of it. We don't believe this was Glenda's leg, as she was wearing white socks with black ankle boots. The second incident was about two hours afterwards, in the car park of the church. A man was returning home after day out and reported seeing a man and a woman talking at around 6.30pm. A man returning to his home saw two people at about 6.30pm. It was a man and a woman. They were stood each side of a wall. The man is described as having sandy hair, the woman short with dark hair. Despite the information that had come forward, police were still unsure of a motive for Glenda's murder. 
We don't believe that robbery was a motive. Glenda was a prostitute, and of course that made her vulnerable. She was also a drug abuser. That too made her vulnerable. Beyond that, we don't know why Glenda was killed. Shortly after her murder, a 16-year-old boy called Malcolm Shipley from Gillingham was arrested over the disposal of her body. He was charged with removal, retention and disposal of her body. He was living on the streets at the time and said that he knew Glenda well. They used to eat together in parks and she was like a mum to him. The charges were dropped and he was released along with two other men arrested for murder. The police say they hadn't ruled anyone out and suspicion continued to loom over him. It wasn't until 2011 that he was officially cleared as a suspect in Glenda's case by the police. The Kent Messenger reported that he'd received a letter by D.I. Dave Withers from Kent Police saying he was no longer a suspect in the case. Mr Shipley said that even his own mum had had tiny part of her that believed it was him. But when he got the letter, he told her how relieved he felt. He said, quote, It has come as a shock because at the end of the day, everyone thought I was a murderer. Mr Shipley's letter, dated 13th of January, read, I can confirm that you have been contacted by police who are reinvestigating the murder of Miss Potter and you are not regarded as a suspect in this case. Mr Shipley said, quote, I'm still a stranger to my own brothers and sisters because of what's happened. It smashed my life to smithereens. He also added, I feel for Glenda's family, especially her children. We were all victims in the end, but now I just want to get on with my life. Later, in 2013, he was jailed for 14 months for molesting a drunk teenager after he went to a Jules Holland concert at Rochester Castle in July 2009. On the 25th of September 2019, it was reported that a robbery had taken place at a charity shop in Rochester High Street, where over £600 was taken from a safe. Shipley was reported to have controlled and forcibly coerced a woman with a knife to be part of his crimes against her will. He pled guilty to burglary and robbery on the 29th of October 2019 at Maidstone Crown Court and was sentenced to four years in prison. Run. Captain and Morgan is a weekly podcast hosted by the captain from fantastic true crime podcast True Crime Garage and his longtime friend Morgan. Catch up with them talking crime and pretty much anything that comes to mind. Find them wherever you download your podcasts. You can follow them on Twitter at Cap and Morgan, on Instagram at the Captain and Morgan, or on their website CaptainandMorgan.com. So, what do we know so far? Glenda was 32 years old when she died. She lived in an area in Chatham known as Bedsitland. She was a sex worker which made her vulnerable. She was also involved with drink and drugs. The police hadn't traced the grey-haired man who was seen in the pub watching her and was later possibly spotted by a taxi driver letting Glenda into his car. Who is he? Was he just a client and where did he drop Glenda off? Glenda was strangled and left behind the Vines United Reformed Church. Who were the man and woman seen talking over the wall days before her murder? Glenda was last seen on Sunday 12th of May and hadn't been back to her flat over the weekend. So where did Glenda spend the Friday and Saturday night? Who was she with? In 2010, the Kent Messenger newspaper reported that Kent police were once again looking into Glenda's murder and had opened a cold case review appealing for members of the public to come forward with any information they may have. They said the case was highly solvable and hoped that people who felt they were not able to come forward in 1991 may be able to come forward now. Inspector Gary Woodward of Kent Police said that he had collated a fair bit of DNA at the time and had continuously applied new DNA techniques to see if they could get a breakthrough in the case. 
The reopening of the case followed the success of Kent's safe exit scheme, which was set up in 2009 and run by police, Medway Drug and Alcohol Team, Medway Council and NHS Medway to help take sex workers in Medway off the streets and give them some support. After seven months, it reduced the amount of sex workers on the streets from over 100 to fewer than 20. However, the scheme has been criticised after reports showed that in 2010, 14 women were arrested for soliciting and this increased to 29 in 2011 with claims that there was no aftercare for the women. I spoke to a member of Glenda's family who told me that Glenda's death was and continues to affect them generations on. They want answers. They want to know what happened to their beautiful Glenda. No one deserves to die like she did and she deserves justice. The family want justice for Glenda and an end to the suffering that their family has endured. Someone knows something. Someone has information. They just aren't coming forward. Any information that anyone can give will help. We'll be following up on some of the information we've received in part two of Glenda's case. Due to restrictions following the COVID-19 outbreak, we've got some more interviews to collect that can't be done at this time. So we're going to continue to follow these up and update you as and when we can. If you've got any information regarding Glenda's murder and would like to pass it on anonymously, please contact us on our social media pages or via email at research at thecrimecabinet.com. So what do you think happened to Glenda? If you'd like to discuss Glenda's case, you can email me at research at thecrimecabinet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Cabinet Crime or on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for The Crime Cabinet. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining me. Stay safe, stay well and take care. (laughs) 